you need to have a great beginning, great middle, and great ending. It's like e-commerce is almost kind of educated us to just think in one way. Every online store has the same structure. Operation Automation is ready to launch. Prepare to optimize your business in three, two, one, go. Hi everyone, it's Irek. And I am here as well to talk to Matteo, the founder of a pop-up store. But that's not why we have him on a podcast, actually. We will be talking about pop-up stores, but just in a second. The real reason is his awesome initiative, Matteo and his crew took at the end of June to visit Ukraine right after the first part of liberation was over to talk to e-commerce vendors there and learn how they're dealing with this unprecedented challenge that is a global war in the 21st century, you know. So I think it's very important because it's Ukraine, which is my homeland, but also because this directly relates something to something that we've been talking during the last episode, and that is a business getting behind a cause. Ukraine is a good example of it because, first of all, many companies that supported Ukraine during the outbreak decided to lose revenue from Russia, which is one of the biggest markets you can hope for. It's a really good example of how human connections and the sense of community can be and should be more important than a direct revenue stream. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one because we were talking about local communities. We were talking about continuing with your business in conditions that I cannot even imagine. We were actually talking about how you can use your business to do good for everyone around you. So, you know, in, in, in a way, of course, we the, the background is, is absolutely horrible, but we were actually talking about things that bring hope. So I really enjoyed this one. And um, it actually made me feel that, you know, you, you, you can focus on your local community and still you can make a big global difference. So, you know, if you only like start developing products or services that are designed for those around you, I think that it's a really solid strategy for like, you know, making a global change. I really like this perspective, and I hope you will really like the episode. Hi, Matteo. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. And thank you so much for agreeing to meet with us right after your trip to Ukraine. I think you have a lot of really fresh impressions to share. Yes, uh, yes, 100%. I think it's probably the best time to to catch the raw, I think, uh, impressions that I had uh, kind of going back, going back to Kyiv uh, after I processing. I feel, I feel strange. Uh, my wife feels strange as well. Um, it, it is, um, I think, yeah, is, we're processing, I think, whatever we saw uh, after, you know, after being there before the war and coming back. So did you go on a trip, not a trip, but on your 
experience in Ukraine, I'm sorry, um, was your wife. And uh, I think you also had an entire crew to make the quality recording, am I right? Yeah, well, it wasn't like was uh, our videographer and uh, also editor was there with me, and then we have Daria, uh, Dasha, Daria, uh, whatever you <laughs> you can pick one. Um, I switched between the two, which is who is uh, our um, marketing marketing executive uh, for Pop Up, and she's based in Kiev, so she was helping. Uh, on you know finding the brands and kind of crafting the story with us kind of going um let's say away from her role uh, which is more on kind of acquisition community and all of this um so in this case she kind of helped more like the content and creative team and my wife was with me uh because yeah she's from she's from uh, ukraine she was from kharkiv actually um, and uh, yeah, she just uh, she wanted to catch up with uh, with her uh, her brother, her family, and also she has other projects as well involving uh, charity in Ukraine and also um, e commerce brands uh, called Artists for Good, who um, uses artists' work to raise uh, funds for for Ukraine. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Um... I want to hear everything about your project, and that's one of the major reasons why we were really excited to talk to you. But before, I got to ask you the question we ask everyone on this podcast, and that is, what processes in life do you wish you could automate? What processes in life do you wish I could automate? Um, everything that uh, requires manual work and not so much of thinking. And I think. Can you give any examples? <laughs> oh, fresh <laughs> uh, anything that relates to input, copy and pasting. Yeah, anything that relates to copy and pasting uh, would be great. Uh, and also, obviously, the whole uh, um, problems that companies like Zapier uh, tackles, which is more like communication between APIs or things like that. I mean, I dealt with. I'm a big fan of automations in general, uh, from an ethical point of view. I think from like a human perspective. And together with also a business and cost, you know, uh, perspective, I think as humans, we're made to think. Uh, so, you know, pushing people to uh, think more and uh, just delegating uh, repetitive tasks to machines. I think that's the way uh, we should do. We should we should go for it. I think we're moving into a future where this is going to happen, and uh, with the negative side that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs uh, because of this. But on the positive side as well, I think creative thinkers, creativity and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the thinking and, and the creation is going to be definitely at the forefront of, of our future because of that. Cool. Sure, that's a great answer. One of the most specific ones we've got so far. <laughs> I'm a big fan. So it's, uh, it's something that uh, I, I, like, I like to do. Awesome. You sound like a perfect guest for the podcast, Operation Automation. I couldn't dream of a better one. <laughs> so coming back to the main reason why we're here, could you tell us some details about your project, about you going to Ukraine? Why did you decide to go to Ukraine right now? Weren't you scared? Yeah, I think uh, I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily scared because um, you know my wife is from there. A lot of friends are there. A lot of companies that uh, we work with are there. Um, a lot of Daria, you know, 
someone that is she's in my team and I speak to her on a daily basis is there. I wasn't really afraid. I, I didn't know what to expect fully. Um, and I was very surprised uh, when I arrived in Kiev and uh, seeing Kiev in, a, in that light, feeling very, very normal, like the Kiev that I know, you know, going into cafes and having drinks, having a nice restaurant, but then there is an odd missile strike, you know, three kilometers from your house or an air raid comes in and things like that, you know, happens. So it's kind of this new normal that uh, it's really hard to grasp because things feel normal until they're not. And, um, and that happened as well while we were over there because they start actually bombing way more than they used to. Even Daria was telling me, it's like they, they launched, I think there were over 59 uh, missiles during the time we were there. And one of them hit a residential building three kilometers from our house. On, oh wow! So yeah. you were there yeah. on this hot day, yeah. It was yeah. We actually went as well. Myself and my uh, videographer, we went. Uh, we reported it on the ground uh, on the residential building that was hit, and yeah, it was uh, yeah about three three point five kilometers from where we're staying. We were staying in the center, so we were very close to, um, we were very close to the embassies, which I think it's it's probably one of the safest spots you can uh, you can, especially American embassy. If you want to spend some time in Ukraine, probably choose a place close to an embassy. Um, uh, but still, you know, we woke up a few times during the air raids and one of them hit a residential building while we were there. Um, the question I think was why we did this. I think for, for us, we are an e-commerce platform, so we are not uh, documentaries. We don't, we're not a content company. We are, we built an e-commerce platform, but we decided to at the same time, building a, a media team and a content team on the side of our e-commerce platform to run the marketing, because I'm a truly believer that content is um, the key to anyone's success, whether it is uh, SEO, blogs, videos, whatever fits better for your business. And for us, it was about storytelling of entrepreneurs and storytelling of other e-commerce entrepreneurs. Um, Ukraine was a great opportunity for us to uh, showcase a story that people don't hear about and to kind of launch our uh, channel with the, with this docu-series. So we're going to do more docu-series. So Ukraine is the first one. And we have other ones that we're thinking about that are going to cover kind of the, the fringes of entrepreneurship and e-commerce. Um, and Ukraine was just a very good opportunity for us to, for me personally, to go back and and you know, go go back. I really wanted to go back, and for the company to uh, create something good that hopefully is going to inspire others and also teach others as well, especially Western enterprises, how to navigate through tough times, which is something that we're talking a lot about after the crypto crash and uh, everything that is happening and the recession hitting. There is a lot of fear, so I think I it was a great learning experience from these brands of how they were able to operate during a war of learning how to operate during the tough times for us. I think that's an amazing initiative and I am Ukrainian, so I'm personally grateful for people like you doing this because I think not only from the perspective of the business opportunities that it opens up for other companies that may, as you said, face recessions or some crisis management situations, but also as most of the Ukrainians are focused on right now into spreading the word about what is happening in the country, how people are dealing with it, and that what is happening right now could be happening on a much larger scale. And it's important to 
prevent the spread of it. So I think projects like this are very important for the marketing community because let's not forget that war is not only about missiles and tragic happenings, but it's also about the great economic losses. And a lot of businesses would be just affected by what's happening right now. Yeah, 100%. And this is why we didn't go to Kharkiv. We didn't cover any war, active war zone and things like that. Uh, it wasn't fear. It wasn't that the stories are not, it's not important. It's just because everyone is reporting this. You know, they have amazing reporting from The Guardian, from The New York Times. We met photographers. We met uh, journalists as well from, from that. It's like they, they are there. They're covering things on the ground. We were interested in covering things that are related to what we do. And I think it's important to just start with your niche, start with what you know, and, and you know, find a story that relates to your audience. You know, it's, the, it's not necessarily that you have to go into a war zone in an active hot spot to actually uh, cover in Ukraine. I think it's these untold stories, these are important to tell. Mm-hmm. No, I think this is truly amazing. And thank you so much for doing that because I haven't heard of other like projects like this that would be dedicated to marketing specifically basically not or e-commerce so this is your business perspective not about the uh, large effects the war would have on the worldwide economy but what mid small mid-sized businesses small businesses have to do and i imagine that well they suffer great losses of that economically speaking yeah 100 percent. so I, w- I wanted to ask you about pop-up like, you know, if you could tell us something more about, you know, the nature of the business and your perspective on e-commerce, because this is, uh, this is really interesting. So if you could, like, you know, explain the, the, the idea and the philosophy uh, behind Pop-Up. Yeah, so I think the philosophy or the idea behind Pop-Up uh, came to be from over, I think, 30 years of combined e-commerce experience between myself and my other co-founders from working in Shopify for a long time, running our own stores, uh, being merchants ourselves. And I think one thing that we noticed is that commerce has been evolving a lot through the years um, and it's going to continue to evolve because society is evolving and buyer behaviors constantly evolves as well. And as technology evolves with us, uh, we're learning new ways of shopping online and, and it's going to be like this forever. But one thing that never changed was the customer journey. And we realized that there was no software out there that was allowing us to build customer journey, even though we were trying to build customer journeys uh, by using an array of apps or trying to hack things together, or maybe, you know, we were paying developers to do that. My co-founder is an engineer, so it was easy for us, but we realized that a lot for a lot of people, it wasn't like that. So we decided to build uh, the only e-commerce platforms that allows you to control the customer journey uh, by taking an approach uh, that you probably have seen already. And I think and your product does that, your funnel builder or conversational commerce like ManyChat, they're using these or email automations tools, very, very similar. So we use a drag and drop journey builder that allows you to put elements in place. And these elements can be lead pages, can be sales pages, it can be landing pages. Uh, it can even be kind of more like a homepage style of, of homepage where you can actually have links that open up within the homepage, not to break the journey. So we came up with our own uh, ideas and architecture around this. Um, and you can build them visually connecting elements together. And just because we're talking about automations as well, you have automated actions. So uh, you can actually place these automated actions along the journey, such as uh, tag a customer, send an email confirmation, uh, send an order to Shopify. Eventually we're going to send an order to Magento, 
to uh, WooCommerce or anything you want. We're going to have sent a message to Slack. So as, as our platform develops and our ecosystem as well increases, uh, once we open up the platform for our public API, then obviously the autom- these automations are going to integrate with other apps and the library is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, it came from the need of flexibility. And I think we all played with Lego. Uh, you played with Lego, I played with Lego. And I think we realized that uh, Lego has uh, the ability to create anything you want because it's so simple. And we realized that as well, that uh, in the e-commerce today, all the platforms are very rigid and they're all based on a blueprint that does not change since the 90s, which is a homepage, a product page, a cart, and a checkout. We realized that we needed to give flexibility to merchants to build whatever they wanted, but give them these building blocks um, and to place them and to build whatever they feel best. So a creator will have a use case, a complex uh, SMB will have another use case, or a media buyer that uh, runs multiple Facebook, TikTok campaigns and wants maybe dedicated post-click landing pages or journeys will have a different use case. But... By giving these building blocks, we're not confining the merchants or our future merchants to something that we make for them. They build their own blueprints. I, um, I'm looking at your website right now, and then there is this like great line which says online stores are for browsing and pop-up stores are for buying. So actually, you know, it really resonates. It's just like spot on. If you could just tell us about like a difference between then, you know, like a online store and a pop-up store? Yeah, I think the main difference between a pop-up store and an online store is, is the journey. It's the fact that you can con- control the journey, the fact that an online store has this blueprint, exactly what I was saying before. Every online store has the same structure. The moment you're trying to break away from the structure is the moment you're going to need to add applications and start to hacking things together. So we see setups where you have merchants using ClickFunnels on top of Shopify or landing pages builder together with upsell app. But the issue is that is data is fragmented. You are dealing with four or five different companies sometimes, not even the same company. And then you have to log in and out in all these platforms and the data is fragmented. That's, that's, that's the issue. The fact is you need to be able to have and leverage data once you send people to your website and see how they're moving through the journey. So you can build a journey by hacking things together. That's completely fine. Like you, you can actually do certain things, but you're never going to be able to have the full visual data of where your customer are coming in, where they're dropping. And without data, you can't make decision because everyone knows that you need to test things out, see what works, and then you iterate and then you scale on that idea. So data gives you the first, uh, you know, information so you can base upon you know, and scale up the strategy when you start actually racking up the budget and and you want to actually send more traffic. And with pop-up, you can do that. That's why we say online stores are for browsing and pop-up stores are for buying. Because in an online store, when you come in, you're kind of lost. You know, you don't, you don't control the journey. The merchants move from one page to another. They go to a product and then go to a Valtus page. And maybe from the Valtus page, they go back to the home page and maybe they leave, right? While with the customer journey, they come in and they have one way and use it as one way to check out, right? Uh, if, you, if you are an e-commerce store, if you're doing a lead generation page, is a one way for, for collecting a lead. So a typical scenario where, for instance, I'll give you an example of one of our brands that we had. Uh, we had this uh, supplement brand, and for when we launched, and we launched on Shopify, it was just like a homepage, and you have your products, 
and uh, men and women come to the store and they buy the supplements and they go to checkout and you have a conversion rate and all of this. So the way you can do it with pop-up, you can have actually an entry point for men and an entry point for women. And then you can actually have a lead generation entry point where you can give a free book, for instance, to your customer and run a lead generation campaign and send a digital download. And you can do all of this in pop-up without having to having another lead generation campaign, even connecting an email provider. You know, you can just create an entry point, collecting a lead. You can run an automation, send a digital download, and that uh, allows you to, to do that and, um, and control the journey all the way through. And you can have one entry point, you can have 50 entry points, and you can have one pop-up source, and you can have 100 pop-up stores because you can actually manage multiple pop-up stores under one admin. Maybe one is for US, maybe one is for Australia because you have summer in Australia and winter in US at the same time. So you want maybe a different banner or a different feeling to, um, you know, to, to, to your page. You can do this with Shopify in a way as well by using a landing page builder like Shogun, for instance. But again, it's another app connecting to uh, a, a platform. And on top of that, you cannot control the customer journey. Hmm. Well, cool. I, that's really impressive. It also puts a completely, like an entirely new angle on personalization also for appropriating the content for your target audience. and. That sounds to me like the future of shopping, actually, that you have yeah. this tailored path to you that's really special. I think Shopify solved the problem of bringing everyone else online. And I think is, uh, Shopify still is one of the greatest platforms that uh, exist today. And I still recommend Shopify for any person that wants to create an online store today. Obviously, I'm going to recommend pop up very, very soon when we open up for everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think that Shopify does a great job, um, although the it was built 16 years ago uh, and e-commerce has evolved a lot. They solved the problem of bringing everyone as, they solved the problem of bringing everyone online. But now that everyone is online, there are other problems. Problems such as shopping experience, personalization, right? We're moving from direct to consumer to giving actually a personalized experience to customer because there's so much competition out there as well. So these are the things where we, we come in. And Pop-Up is an end-to-end e-commerce platform too. We didn't believe that uh, we needed to create an app because we believe that with our approach, if we have created an app, we have another problem as well. You control the journey from beginning to end and we needed to be able to give our merchants this. It's like reading a book. You have a beautiful beginning, a great middle, but then you're kind of falling at the end and then it's like, oh, well, that wasn't a great book. Same as a great movie, right? You need to have a great beginning, a great middle, and a great ending. Uh, and if you like as well, you know, some post-purchase, post um, some post-purchase experience. So, so this is why we wanted to control, give the control from the beginning to end. And if you go with a platform like Shopify, you cannot do this. They give you maybe control at the beginning, but then eventually once you enter in the checkout, because they want to own checkout and it makes sense for them financially, so I understand why they do that, then they control that experience, which means that we cannot give, we, could, we couldn't do it. We have to give the full control from beginning to end. And this is why it's been taking over almost two years now to build and we're still building because the end of the day, you know, an e-commerce platform, a merchant that makes $10,000 a year, a merchant that makes a million a year, they have the same setup, same CRM, same pages and same very similar things. You know, uh, the store usually look a bit, a bit prettier and they're better on acquisition. But, but the setups is very similar. So we couldn't just do it like, hey, let's build a simple product for merchants that don't process a lot of money. Pop-up is actually made for merchants that 
are processing money and to boost up the conversion rate and to actually uh, be more you know, competitive uh, in the current market. I love this analogy of like, you know, like, like a story where you have a like great beginning, great <laughs> middle and great ending. So um, you've mentioned that uh, Shopify is like a perfect tool for like creating those like great beginnings. But I wanted to ask you about like maybe perhaps could you give us uh, any example or maybe a few examples of what could you do, um, you know, as, as an e-commerce owner uh, in order to make sure that you have those like great endings. And, and you know, like so, so what are possible scenarios here or like, so, you know, could you give us some example of like a customer journey that is designed for this perfect or like great middle and great ending as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, let me think an example. Okay, so let's say I send you to the end of my journey is my order confirmation page, right? So with pop-up, what you can do, you can do exclusive, uh, you can actually send people to different journey path uh, based on uh, like, yes or no. Like, yes, they accepted my offer. No, they are not accepting my offer. Yes, they checked out. No, they didn't accept the checkout, right? In this particular case, for instance, I can say that if the person accepted the checkout, I send them to an order confirmation page. If they didn't accept the checkout or they're trying to go away, I send them to a video of me saying, hey, I'm so sorry you didn't, ac- you, you didn't come to my store, um, but I hope to see you next time. And it's basically a page with an embedded YouTube video of the founder saying, I'm so sorry you were leaving. Or you can do the same thing. It's like very simple after the order confirmation. I redirect them to a YouTube channel because you can just set up a redirect or I can have a page within pop-up that has an embedded YouTube channel that says, hey, thank you so much for coming into my store. Uh, click here for uh, redeem your coupon code for the next time. And then you click on that and you can send them somewhere else. Maybe you redirect them to a YouTube channel. Same thing for the creator. Uh, you can say things, you're going to be able to do things like if you accept this offer, you're going in a private live stream with me. If you decline this offer, you go to maybe a, another offer that is 50% less until the person accepts the offer. Um, it's, it's a way to monetize your audience more because you have this type of uh, creating kind of exclusivity as well. And these type of things you cannot do them with Shopify unless you pay a developer. And there is certain things that we're kind of trying to figure out ourselves how to do it. They were like, actually, no, you cannot do it. Um, so probably we're going to get very, very big. They're going to notice that. They're going to maybe try to uh, come up with something like this. And if that happens, well, I mean, it's an honor, right? <laughs> but, uh, but until then, I think, I think our customer journey and trying to find these use cases uh, are as our, it's, it's our priority right now because you can do so much with pop-up and we're going to get surprised of how merchants are going to be using pop-up in a way that we never thought about it before. Like a guy was like, Hey, I want to use pop-up to run tests for, to see which next product I want to sell. So what he wants to do, he wants to basically creating all these entry points where are different products that go to a pre-order. Right. And all he wants is just to test which product is getting more traction and he's not producing the product. He's going to produce the product just one after he sees all the pre-orders coming in. Right. But just in this case, I was like, Oh, this is a super smart idea. I never heard of this. <laughs> yeah. And he wanted to use Papa for that. You know, um, we had another girl that she's like, oh, she's a tattoo artist. So one, she has like a calendar page and then she has a, 
merchandising store, which runs on Wix. Um, and then she has a link in bio as well. So with pop-up, you can actually have an entry point that is a link in bio, exactly like a link in bio. You can have an entry point that can be like a page with an embedded Calendly link. And she can have an entry point which is connected to her merchandising store. She can run all of this through pop-up. She doesn't need Wix and she doesn't need uh, a link in bio app anymore. And she doesn't need a landing page builder for to embed like a Calendly link. This is a use case that I never thought about. I was like, oh yeah, it, it makes sense. It's Again, I think it's the analogy of Lego. And I think Lego, you, you're amazed when you see what people build with Legos. Like, I can't believe it's built with blocks, right? And I think this is where I come back to kind of that analogy of you can do anything you want. It's about your creativity and it's about knowing your customer, you know, like what type of experience I want to give to my customer. And it kind of forces the merchants to think about commerce in a different way. Like at the beginning of commerce, most people, what they do, which is a mistake in my opinion, it's they build a store and then they're like, okay, let's figure out now who are my customers and how can I drive them into the store? With pop-up, you cannot do that. Because the first thing you have to do is you have to build the journey. And to be able to build your customer journey, you have to really think is like, okay, who am I targeting? Like, who are my customer? Who am I targeting? And what kind of shopping experience I want to give them? By forcing you to do that, it allows you at the same time to start understanding and making a little bit of research. So once you're actually creating a journey, you're actually already feeling like, okay, I know what kind of shopping experience I want to give because I know who people I'm targeting. Or... I think those are might be the right people. I'm going to test it out and see if it works, right? So education, community, it's where I am uh, focusing a lot in marketing right now because we believe that uh, uh, merchants are platform agnostic. Most customers, I think, don't care about my product and your product too. I'm sorry to say. I think customers care about that. <laughs> right? I think customers care about their problems and how your, prob- how your product can solve their problems. And, and another thing that merchants care about or customers care about is that people don't want to be alone. And people want a place to call home where other like-minded people um, are together learning and almost kind of the self-serving community where people are kind of helping each other and giving each other ideas. And I do believe in this decentralized model as well in terms of like education. And this is why we're going to launch the community and a lot of community-led growth uh, is going to be our main uh, objective in the next uh, few months. Brilliant. That sounds Brilliant. great. I'd like to come back to user stories for you know, use, use cases for a second because I think um, your recent visit to Ukraine, this whole project had to open up a lot of potential, potentially totally new use cases. And I believe they could be helpful to a lot of marketers who are finding themselves in the scenario of crisis management. So could you maybe share some of your findings? Like what kind of brands did you talk to? What are the second obvious struggles they're dealing with right now? So war is obviously number one, but what are the customer journey challenges that came together with it? I think well, by speaking to Ukrainian brands, which are mostly e-commerce brands, uh, one thing that I noticed is that they're very lost in what they want to do. They don't really know. They need kind of guidance. And this is, I think, that I was saying, again, they're platform agnostic. Everyone has different use cases. And I found all of them to be a good fit for pop-up in many different ways, from someone that just wanted to 
uh, you know, they're usually starting like selling on Instagram because they had an idea and they started to make these patriotic socks uh, and they start to get a lot of traction and they were, you know, trying to uh, selling on Instagram and they haven't had an online store yet. Uh, so they're thinking, how can we go online? And perfect use case that I was saying is like, with Pablo, you can have a link in bio and then it connects perfectly to your online store. Uh, and then they want to start kind of uh, creating ads for the best selling socks. Again, you can create in landing pages uh, for those particular socks and start running specific ads to those specific socks. Influencer collaboration as well. You can do all of this with Pop-Up. So because the platform is so flexible, all of the merchants that I spoke to, uh, they could be a perfect fit. And some of them, they're on WooCommerce. Some of them, they're on Etsy, but they want to move away from Etsy. This is another thing that we talked about with one of the brands. Uh, Etsy stopped for some time. There was some controversy with Ukraine and the war and things like this. So there were some pins. Yeah, because there's some pins that were like uh, evocating violence and stuff like that, like especially offending Putin and stuff. So they, they took the product down. So this is my issue that I have with marketplaces like Amazon and Etsy. I think if you are a brand, you cannot have just an Etsy and Amazon account. It's an addition, right? You are under someone else's control. It needs to be decentralized. It needs to, you need to be independent in your store. Obviously, in pop-up, you cannot sell anything illegal, but you can sell whatever you want as long as it's legal in the way that you want, right? So this was another issue that they had. Um, but what I've noticed, it's about making people think about customer journeys because people don't think about like this. And it's like e-commerce is almost kind of educated us to just think in one way. This is what I noticed, right? They just think about, I'm going to create my store. I'm going to have a homepage. I'm going to have product pages. They don't think about, okay, well, what can I do here to actually boost my, boost up my conversion? What can I do? What, what is the best shopping experience I can give to my customers so they keep coming back? They don't think like that yet, especially in that stage where you're starting getting some traction, but you don't know what next. Because you have brands that are getting traction that have marketing teams and uh, conversion rate optimization analysts and all of this. Once you are a big brand, you're already thinking like this. And when I show pop-up to e-commerce experts, I mean, they get it. Like literally they get it in two minutes. Like they don't even think, I was like, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. This is brilliant, right? Is when I try to explain pop-up to people that already starting out and they're trying to get like to the next level, like the kind of, I call it the zero to one. They're trying to get to one and they're like halfway through. That's where I start to speak about pop-up and, and at the end of the day, I, I speak about marketing and I end up speaking about conversion rate optimization and why journey is so important. So I think that's what I found in, in Ukraine uh, a lot. Um, this is more on a product level. On a human level, I found a lot of unity. I found a lot of community-led growth. Um, brands that were responding to the needs of the community and what the uh, what the what was the best design that was getting the most traction traction and what was the best design that people were buying into, especially for like the patriotic stuff. I mean, like you know, this brand here, like T by Me. Um, the the listeners are not. Um, not gonna be able to see it because it's not a video, but you know it's 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 uh it's my language is my shield, right? Um, this is one of the most popular design, you know, it's uh, from them, and um, and and they they just tested it out and it got traction, and then it started to kind of get one of the best selling product, right? And this is where uh, it's like it's so important to adapt quickly, and 
going back on us and the products and Papa, Papa allows you to do that as well. It's like you test an idea, you test it quickly. It's simple. Uh, if you see something that is happening, you can create a specific journey for that specific product or a specific opportunity that's going to be able to leverage either maybe capture leads or make doing sales, right? We are mainly e-commerce, so for us, we'll be mainly doing sales. So adaptability, the power of community, and adaptability. That was, that was the biggest thing that all the brands said. And I asked, what, what suggestion would you give to Western businesses to thrive during a recession or hard times? All they said is like, okay, lower your catalog count. That's what all they said is like, concentrate your best selling products. Or don't try to sell too many products, not 100 SKUs, 10, 20 maximum, and adapt quickly. Listen to your customer and adapt quickly and don't give up. I think that was uh, another thing. And another thing that surprised me the most, competition is good, but we all need to come together to, and support each other because it's the only way to move forward. And it's something that in the Western world, and I'm talking about Europe, America, um, UK, you know, it's not really, I haven't seen that much. I haven't seen, I see more an opportunistic approach when the recession comes. It's like, oh, nice, on all the competition is going to die and then we're going to thrive and we're just going to make even more money, right? While I didn't see that in Ukraine. And this is the thing that really shook my heart a lot. It's like, because I interviewed 10 10 brands, like we interviewed 10 brands. We did street interviews as well. Uh, we sp- and we spoke to people that we didn't catch the footage, obviously just, just around the sense of community and sense of coming together all as one, uh, fighting for a cause that uh, we all believe in. That's something that really, really um, stayed with me even now. Mm. Wow. This is amazing. And actually, you know, the fact that you can operate as a business to serve a certain community and you can also like, cooperate with other businesses within the same community, basically just to like, you know, create even even better network, right? I actually think that this community-driven behavior is probably the future of really successful e-commerce mm. brands because you really need to have a cause behind your business to be successful, to get people behind you. Otherwise, it's selling for the sake of making more money and you can't really attract a lot of really loyal customers this way. I think when I started doing e-commerce, I, I, I really focused on dropshipping. And uh, there was a time that we did like a million dollars in one day, scaling a brand within three months from zero to a million in sales. And we did like seven million in three months by finding the right product and doubling Facebook ad budget and knowing what we were doing. Um, but obviously... Customer were not happy production issues. I mean, when you scale so hard, it's just like it's it's really, really, really impossible to thinking about that you are going to build something and to get your customer to return. The end of the story is that we lost all the money, anyways. In most of the yeah, I mean, we lost them in disputes and customer not coming back. Those days are gone. I mean, you you cannot do this anymore, anyways. I mean, beside the fact that you cannot do that anymore, you cannot like cost per acquisition is too high. So those type of hey, let's build an e-commerce store and try to make some money but just by launching some ads and try to get a positive return on ad spend within the first uh, two weeks. Those days are gone. So now you have to really focus on nurturing your customer, selling quality products, maybe not making a million in sales, but maybe trying to make in 100K in sales, but making sure that that's repeated every month. Right. I also know I, I did a little bit of LinkedIn stalking for you, so I've seen that you're involved in a lot of different uh, charities, nonprofit organizations, stuff like that. For me personally, 
the idea itself to go to the active war zone to interview some e-commerce owners is very non-profit at heart. So what do you think is the role of this, maybe not charity oriented, but non-profit oriented um, beliefs behind a business nowadays? Yeah, so what, we got involved actively, uh, personally with Pop-Up as well and Commerce for Good, which is the, the, the charity that, uh, that, that we started in partnership with, uh, with Viceroy, which is the other company that my wife as well helps uh, to, to, to start and build. We, we focused on um, helping volunteers on the ground from you know, radios to bulletproof vests to humanitarian aid, very much financing people directly. Uh, bypassing the the big charities, so we started to notice issues within the whole charity model and charity organization. And while I was on the ground in Ukraine, those issues were confirmed because there are those independent units of volunteers, 40, 50 people, 100 people, and those businesses that we interviewed, they all support in small groups of volunteers. So there is a completely independent network of brands raising money. Not millions, maybe, but like everyone raising a little bit and helping maybe 20 to 50 people. Um, all the brands that we spoke to, they give 30% to 50% of the profits to the army or to uh, volunteers that they know. And then none of them finances big organization unless they're not in Ukraine. And now actually most of them, even if they are Ukrainian big organization, they don't finance them. They just give money to a smaller organization where they see the direct impact that they make. There is a lot of mistrust, and I think content is a way for people to um, create that trust between like a brand and that finance money and the volunteers on the ground that are using this money. Because we have now the power to go live while we distribute food. We have the power to create content on the go with our phones uh, and have this full transparency within within the community, um, and I think it's a massive opportunity for that. I think for brands to actually, you know, brands and people on the ground to using content almost as a currency, uh, because also I noticed like brands want to get something back, and that's fair enough. You know, it's like it's it's just very hard to keep people motivated for a long time if you are a brand. You say, hey, give me some money. People do donation once, and then. The second time is harder, and I did it, and it's it's definitely harder. So we're trying to think about a way where, like, how can you keep the brands of give you money by keep them motivated? And we found that by just starting in a Telegram channel where we're basically posting the daily updates on all our volunteers on the ground that we're doing, we kept in, keep getting motivated, and people are like, oh, yeah, I know where my money is going now. So I think being impact-driven is important. I think... Being impact driven, saying impact driven without doing anything about it, it's it's the thing that makes me the most angry, um, because I think if you a lot of people like to say that are impact driven and are doing things, but then their company doesn't do anything about it, or they don't do anything about it, or maybe they change their logo to like with, with the flag, and it's like until then the the pride comes in, and then they change the logo with the other ones, right? Or they make a post is like, oh, my thoughts and prayers are with people from Ukraine. We're an impact-driven company, so we stand by you. Yeah. I would like to throw in an example because it's a recent one, and I think it's also a very nice one to have on the podcast because it shows how 
nonprofit really a business can go. I'm sorry because this is a military example, but still because very recently, like last week, I guess, in Ukraine, on the time of the recording, um, one of the politicians started um, general public's collection to get three army drones that would be donated to the Ukrainian army. He was planning to get enough money, I think it was 60 million Ukrainian hryvnias in a week. He got more than that, so he got money not for three drones, but for four drones in less than three days. He passed the money on to the company that produces the drones, and they said, we're going to give the three drones for free, since people are so motivated to collect this money, and now take the donations and invest in some other cost that is going to support Ukrainian army. And I think this is an example of how human a business can really stay, because it shows that it's not about the product, it's not about the profit, but it's all about the cause. And even if it's something as controversial as selling weapons, you can still find a piece of humanity in it, and you can still stay kind, basically, to each other. And that's why I was really happy that you brought up the fact that Ukrainian businesses are not consumed with competition, because technically now is the time to freak out and chase these large profits. 100%. Yeah, 100%. I mean, but for example, we interviewed the guys from I'm Ukrainian, Creative Depot. And yeah, one of the main issues that they had was uh, copies. Copies everywhere, knockoffs. Because it's the, you know, the president wore their t-shirt. He didn't mention them. So no one knew there was like, so people are just like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm Ukrainian. I love this t-shirt. It's a pretty cool idea. They got it, but it was their idea, right? And it was their brand. But it's so easy to recreate. So what they said is that we see copies all the time. But he told me 90% of people, once we tell them, hey, this is actually our design, they take it down. They take the place down. Yeah, 90%. So 10% is like, yeah, whatever. I don't oh, of course, to. there's always that 10% in the business. I wasn't expecting 100, but he told me 9 out of 10, 9 out of people that we say, it's like for us, it's, you're going to see it like in the documentaries. Like for us, it's a really, really small problem. Um, we, it's just as a pain in the ass because they constant, like they, they pop out constantly. Most people do it because they don't know. They don't know. They just see, Hey, you know, they see the photo of the president and then they're just like, Oh, I'm just going to recreate this. And of course, cause it's a simple design for our listeners who don't know I'm Ukrainian. It's basically like a black or white t-shirt with just the caption. I'm Ukrainian on it. So super minimalist, super simple. Yeah, exactly. So, but it was very nice to hear. It really, really nice to hear. Yeah. That's amazing. And speaking of. Uh, once your documentary will be live, when and where we'll be able to yeah, see Yeah, so I think it's cool. We're going to go live in September. Uh, it's going to be a three-part uh, documentary, I think 20 minutes per episode. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I think around September. Is it going to be on YouTube or just pop up? We're going to release it for the community only uh, probably 10 days before we go live on YouTube, and then it's going to be on YouTube for everyone to see. Uh, but uh, if you are inside the community, you are people are gonna have access to like uh, the never seen footage and some funny bits that happen and other things that we filmed like on the side. Wow! Yeah, yeah. So that's also a great use of content. I mean, wow! Really impressed here. <laughs> but this is what I was trying to say. It's like I think if you are a business, if you especially if you're marketing and especially and speaking to all the CMOs and my marketing colleagues, you know, there is a way to benefit from doing impact-driven action and at the same time profit from it by creating amazing content around it 
and having a win-win situation where you can actually make a difference, you spread awareness, you look good, you look cool as well. And then at the same time, your company is going to make a little bit more money. So you can do more of this stuff. So I think it's just like where you're thinking at on and see, hey, how can I leverage the cause? And it doesn't, have, for me, Ukraine is a heart and it was a very, very easy starting point. For speaking for someone from US, maybe is uh, the abortion laws that are now passed or the poverty line in US in so many of the states. In Brazil, maybe the favelas. There is so many stories you can tell that are relatable to your business where you can raise awareness, spread donate a little bit and at the same time using all this content for your marketing campaigns because at the end of the day once you launch a campaign no one cares you know converting more than your competitor people look at stories and they're gonna more likely to click on an ad where you have an amazing footage of you speaking to someone that it could be an audience for your business i think this human-based storytelling content works better as well besides the fact that it's, it's good and it's input driven and all of this it's actually objectively like Forget about all the charity stuff. It works better, <laughs> you know, right? It you you are more successful. So do it more, and at the same time, you also do something good. So it's win-win. That's my yeah. advice to all the marketing people out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I can totally get behind that. Mm. Definitely, you feel good. Your customers feel good. So mm. you make some money in the process. I mean, perfect win-win-win triangle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just really like uh, yeah, it's like uh, um investing in renewable energy, right? We know we're too dependent on Russia on oil and gas. Let's invest more in your renewable energy. We cut the ties with Russia and the planet is better. Win -win. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, definitely. You also like mentioned, you know, so many um, like, like areas to compete on because you've mentioned customer journey. You've mentioned uh, building a community. You've mentioned content. And, and here, I think that all of these are renewable resources, right? Because you can just like invest, invest and invest. And then actually you will just basically come with like better ideas and better outcomes, I would say. So this yeah, is exactly. huge. So I, I wanted to ask you about like a few tips for people who might be just about to start their first e-commerce business. So with your experience and, you know, your, your perspective, what, what tips would you give to a person who is, you know, maybe they have like an idea for a product. So what should they do? What, what is like most important from your point of view? Yeah. So I think I would have loved to say, Hey, Build, build a product that you're passionate about and you really love. I would say to someone now, think about the community that you want to build about your product. Think about the customer that you want to have. Start to aggregate that audience around you by creating maybe content around, like almost like a small following, a small community. Then see which product would be the best fit for the community and then launch that product. I think we're moving from community customer products approach rather than before it was like you create a product, you find the customer and then you build the community. I think the thing has been reversed. Um, it's not me saying this, actually. I have to quote the person that says it, which is Kieran Flanagan, which is the SVP, Center of our Spreads of Marketing or, or HubSpot, when we spoke about <laughs> this, right? So this is completely his line. Uh, so, But he's obviously someone that knows what he's talking about as well, because HubSpot, you know HubSpot, right? Everyone knows and he's amazing at marketing. So, And, and he's very agnostic, right? He's, he's very smart guy, and that's what he told me. So even on e-commerce right now, 
I wish the times were like, uh, you know, in the dropshipping era, you find a product that is trending right now, you put some ads into it, and then you start acquisition of your ideal customer or people that respond to that product. I don't see that working that much anymore. If you're starting out, I think you have to start a little bit like on, you know, creating, thinking about the audience, thinking about the community and your customer first, and then create the product later. Our two of the remaining questions. Number one is, you kind of already mentioned it a little bit. What do you, what do you think the future of e-commerce is going to be like? It's hard to predict because uh, everyone was kind of saying, oh, it's going to be NFTs and uh, people are going to just selling NFTs now. And now it seems like it's kind of dying down a bit, even though I believe in the technology. Uh, but there are a lot of things happening now in terms of like projects not be launched. Maybe it's a bubble, maybe not. Uh, I don't, virtual shopping is a big thing. Maybe it's going to be relevant or not. I, I'm not really sure. We'll have to see. I think what's going to be always relevant is going to be creating shopping experiences and personalization. Um, definitely automations as well to help with this. Automation is the future for, on, every, on every aspect. Thank you uh, for from, saying that. No, it's perfect, true. I mean, perfect it's for from, a podcast. <laughs> I mean, Elon says this, right? <laughs> Literally as a company, such <laughs> I was listening to him about automation, but no, automation is, is a future. And we are starting very, very small with automations with uh, our automated action um, to save time for, to our, for our users. But as future, we're going to be looking into machine, machine learning and all of these as we collect data. So I think automation is the future for sure. And uh, um, community, build, building a community again. Um, and uh, especially for e-commerce, focusing on the customer. Um, yeah, focusing on your customer, give them a, a, a shopping experience that they kind of forget and focusing on retention. So a lot, we're going to see a lot of like uh, memberships, uh, a lot of brands that are going to be focused on keeping a tight, tight community and growing the community, but having these, uh, your customer coming back, coming back for more. I think is the only way it's, we might see a shift though. It's like, uh, this is very hard. It's very hard to predict because I give an example. So, um, until Facebook ads came out, social media advertising wasn't a thing. And when, when Facebook ads came out, it opened up a completely new way of acquisition, like the drop shipping, um, scaling ads, finding a product was mainly driven by Facebook advertising. That's why now dropshipping is not the way it used to be before because of the traffic. It wasn't Shopify. People are calling Shopify dropshipping. Shopify had nothing to do with dropshipping. I mean, Shopify was literally a platform that allowed you to create a store very quickly. But if you have a Shopify store and you have no traffic, then you're not making any money. It was the dropshipper were media buyers. They weren't Shopify expert. The pages were super simple. The content were stolen from some uh, AliExpress sites and put it on a page that was converting fast, right? That was it. And then open up something new. And then that arrived to an end and it fell down again. Maybe we are in a streaming bubble or it seems that it seems that way. Maybe Netflix, Disney Plus, and all of these to survive, they're going to start doing ads. And maybe they are going, there's going to be a massive opportunity to get back to those old acquisition days when we have a, a new channel coming in that we haven't thought about, maybe TikTok, maybe TikTok ads are gonna be on the rise as the algorithm improves. So it's very hard to predict because the way the technology 
the way we acquire traffic, it kind of is really hard to predict. Um, and that's going to affect how commerce is, uh, is going to be, to be done. One thing that is always stated, and this is the reason why Pop-Up has been heavily focusing on this, is the customer journey from the wild, wild west to, or, you know, 300, 400, 500 years ago, there was always someone entering in a place, going through a store and paying at the sale. It's going to be always like this. If that is done by live stream or virtual rooms or whatever it is, it's irrelevant. It's always going to be a journey. So I think with Papa, we're always going to be focusing on the journey, whatever that journey might look in the future. Mm, okay, so there's the next question that we, we were actually going to ask you. The last like, one. <laughs> the last one this time. So what superpowers do you need to future-proof your business? What superpower, uh, do, what superpower do you need? Yeah, to, to just like, you know, make sure that your business is future-proof. Oh, future-proof. Um, as a founder or as a business? We could just go like both ways. Because, oh, both you ways. Know. <laughs> um, as a founder, I would say uh, focus on the things you can control and uh, forget about everything you cannot control. That's what I would say uh, as a founder, yeah. That's... This is great. Like, I, I think that it's so, it, it's it's good for a human being, actually. Yeah, it's Not just only good for Yeah, that was, <laughs> was both ways, uh, which is the hardest thing. It's really, it's really, it's, it's really hard. And uh, I, I'm learning, still learning. I think it's, it's a constant learning. Um, that's, and focus on the journey. I mean, I know we do customer journey. We talk a lot about the journey, but it is there is also a personal reason why we do this because if you just focus on the next goal and stuff like that, you're going to be fairly unhappy. Um, I think just focus on enjoying enjoying what you're doing and focus on the trip, you know, and the travel and the the journey how to get there. Uh, the goal might change a lot. The goal changes sometimes. You thinking you're going in a direction, and then the company needs to change and pivot in a different direction. So I think as a founder, if you are if you think that you have not reached your goal is a failure and then you're going to suffer a lot. I think failure is part of testing and maybe going in the wrong direction, but I think you have to enjoy the, the journey and the process, right? Um, as a business, as a business, try to be in the future lean, like no, no longer spend, I think try to kind of, I would say try to get the maximum results with the least amount of money as possible right it's not i'm not saying try to be cheap because you know it's not it's very for every business is different and i think have a clear objective and ask yourself do i have the resources now to get there and what is the best possible um you know budget allocation that i can spend to get the maximum results um and don't always think about an mvp type type of situation what is the minimum viable product that is a is a documentary or is an ad or is a product, whatever, it's always the first step. So don't think about two, three steps ahead, take the first step, learn, and then take another step, another step, and, and improve along the way, right? So always a little bit of testing at the beginning. So the, it allows them not to invest too much resources, I think, and um, too much resources, time and money into things that you don't know they're gonna work because at the end of the day, you don't make a decision. Your customer and viewers make a decision. So uh, until you test something, you don't really know. True. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Yeah, and once again, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for really insightful information and like 
your angle on e-commerce, I really like it. I really like. I really hope that more businesses would be more customer oriented like this, more customer journey oriented like this. Because for me, I think, as you said, this is a very important factor that is going to affect success, not just in the future, but it already does, kind of. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm flying tomorrow, but it was very. I like, honestly, it's like again, it's about the journey and not the destination because we got lost. We got seven hours. We met this girl. Her name is Katya. She's 21 year old. Uh, such an incredible story. We're going to do an interview with her later on today. She's a, she's a refugee. Uh, she's been a refugee since the war started. Now she's going to start. She's studying in, uh, in France. So we're going for dinner tonight all together. Uh, and it was just so, such an inspiring story. And I think I made a kind of a LinkedIn post about it. And uh, it made me really realize that being a refugee is something that can happen to anyone and it's not it's not who you are right it's something that happens to you and we had this idea of refugees like brown people or black or uh people wearing a burqa or coming from third world countries with nothing and you know you had this this stereotypical mind and then you realize it's like no this is something that can happen to me can happen to me if you know the condition arrives and i think this is what we noticed with ukraine and then we met like a guy from uh, Canada, uh, Ukrainian-Canadian, fighting in the Fort Legion. Uh, he was fighting in Donbass. So that was, that was some really, really hard stories to hear. So he, he had a concussion, suffering from PTSD. He's coming back a little for a while um, to kind of set back. And then he's, he's coming back to Ukraine. So he was, he was on his way back. And those the like, you know, we just got lost together. We were over late. So we ended up, you know, waiting. Uh, three four hours uh, in in the station and then chatting you know that would have never happened right if i would be on a plane right now i wouldn't be interviewing someone amazing like this guy so so i think it's like it's make makes the most of it it's again the journey not the destination the end of the day that's 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 what it is perfect yeah. that's the attitude we should all be having yeah that's the attitude yeah focus on your journey well, thank you so much have a great day it was great talking thanks to you guys thank you for having thank me thank you a lot say apart from the generally socially important context in this episode i was particularly amazed by this brand new take on running an e-commerce business of how you actually put the user and their needs and their expectations in the middle of your sales processes so it's not just about typical personalization that we all know of and are tired of hearing about it's about something much greater you're, you're absolutely right that actually here, like, you know, personalization is about getting rid of all the irrelevant elements. So it's actually about limiting the products to the bare minimum. It's actually, you know, about recommending you the stuff that you really need at this certain point and actually letting go of all the rest. So it's a bit of a challenge. I totally agree with that. But I think that if we think about personalization from this perspective, I think that it will be you know, a huge improvement in e-commerce. Yeah. And I hope more stores will be on this pop-up model rather than a typical Shopify, Magento, you know, this globalized approach where personalization is somewhere there on the margin. At, at the same time, they just want to throw as many products as possible at us instead of finding a few, but the ones that we will really want to invest in. Exactly.
And as Irek said exactly, and I said about the pop-up stores, you know, it's the end of the episode. So we'll be back next week <laughs> talking about something entirely different, but still very much about e-commerce. And in the meanwhile, make sure to revisit our previous episodes dedicated to e-commerce marketing, or you can go even deeper and learn more about the basics of marketing automation because it's operation automation, baby. So yeah, make sure to check us out, leave us some comments, drop us a line at podcasts at getresponse.com. Or maybe if you're feeling adventurous, you can even go to getresponse.com use our 15% promo code GR-podcast and claim a 15% discount on any plan for GetResponse today and experiment with it yourself. Operation Automation is backed up by GetResponse, the marketing automation platform that's been on the market for over 20 years. Subscribe for more juicy insights. And remember, automate, don't complicate.